0: Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well thought out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why Principal design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realize that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased foot traffic, higher engagement and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the PO community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot. Welcome to another episode of Principle of Hospitality, the podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. where straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of inspiration and information for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's podcast. This podcast has been a long time coming. Over the last couple of months, I've convinced our next two guests to come on the podcast to be one of the last episodes of 2022. Emma Rat and Darren both work for Homegrown Drinks here in Melbourne, part of the Worksmith Group. And this is going to be a fantastic podcast because we're going to talk about everything to do in the bar industry, in their career, what legacy they want to leave and how to keep yourself safe and well in a hospitality environment moving forward. Just a fantastic conversation, so let's get into it. Maybe Emma, if I start with you, if that's okay.
1: Yep, sure. Um, So I moved out of my family home at 16. I grew up in the countryside, uh, and then I moved to Liverpool, a big old city, um, and realised that I can earn money really quickly, and people will love me because (laughs) I give them drinks. So, yeah, I started out in this pub, huge pub, called Edward's. Um, from the age of 18, and one of my many other bar jobs. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of fell into it um, and then got a management role pretty quickly in my career. Right. And from there, I've worked in cocktail bar after cocktail bar, discovered that there are these amazing things called cosmopolitans. And I'm <laughs> like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> cool. I want to learn how to make it. <laughs> Um, But yeah, and 21 years later, here I am. When did you come to Australia? Um, About 10 years ago. So I was working for Difford's Guide, um, which is a really good cocktail book um, and website with lots of information um, for the whole industry. Um, But I had the opportunity to move over here and work in a little bar called The Everly because the owner, Michael, had... I'd once served him in another bar I was working in in London called Milk and Honey, and then I was here on holiday and he remembered me four years later and he was like, "Hey, do you want to move over? I've got a job if you want it." And I was like, "Yes, please." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, here I am.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, what about what about you, Des?
2: Uh, many many years ago, I was hungover on the couch on a Saturday night and. This is like i was i think i was pre i was 18 or 19 and my friend's older brother managed a bar in adelaide and so every time that they were short of glassy someone from our like younger friendship group would get the call up and i had nothing to do that night and so i just thought like well why not like i if anything like i'll just make some quick bucks and I'll get rid of my hangover and it'll be fine. And within about half an hour, I was just like sold on this lifestyle of like the energy, the, you know, watching the bartenders work, watching them like make people drinks, make them like sort of like make these, have these memorable experiences. Um, And then after work, we all went to a nightclub and got like absolutely pissed. And I was like, this is a great way to spend a weekend. Like, you know, you're literally making people's nights you're part of people's memories and then you get to go to a club you get to skip the queue you get served first and like you're just having the time of your life and it's amazing Mm. and so I kind of like finished my trade and then I worked in Adelaide for a while I always wanted to go to New York or London um New York harder because you can't get that visa, that, that working mm-hmm. holiday visa. So London it was, and I kind of always had my eyes set on milk and honey. Um, and I just kind of got lucky when I was over there. They they were hiring. It um, wasn't luck. It was luck. <laughs> At that stage, it was definitely <laughs> luck. Um, so they were hiring and it's like, and then, yeah, I just kind of like through that group, through the Rushmore group, I've met like the people that have then, you know, kind of helped me Progress through the industry, I guess. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just like a lot of right place, right time um, for me um, with like getting to where I am today, wherever that may be. Um,
0: mm. So, yeah. I forgot you were from Adelaide.
2: Yeah. I re- yep.
0: I, now I realize why I like you like 5% more because we're both from <laughs> South Australia. There you go. Um, uh,
1: I thought it was called you No, know, It is,
0: yeah. trust us. Um, <laughs> Daz, what did you notice the difference between sort of the Adelaide scene, which is obviously super small, right, Um, Mm. in comparison to going to London? Like, what did you – was it a big sort of uh, dramatic shift in what you'd experienced before going and working in London?
2: Uh, Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it was – other than, like, the size of the cities and the sheer scope and, like, busyness of the cities – it's just like the enormity of the hospitality scene there. And even though when you're in when you're within a group or within the structures of a group, you have a very tight knit close of like, you know, friends or comrades. And you do kind of like and the hospitality scene is still small, it's tiny, like yeah, and you it's kind insular, of isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You still you know, you meet people through people and you meet more people through people like that and like, mm. you're just constantly getting introduced to people and so it was kind of like there was a lot of similarities. The differences were that it was just enormous and also that there was like, you know, all of a sudden you're exposed to, you know, other cultures, other accents, other yeah. other people in general, and mm. it's just a much bigger, more kind of fluid form of that like very, very small, tight-knit scene that, that is Adelaide where like truly everyone kind of knew everyone, mm. whereas, you know, once you go to London, it's like... Well, you know, you're just, you're anonymous, which yeah, I, yeah. I loved. I absolutely loved that. Mm. Um, I thought that was one of the best things about, I think that's one of the best things about big city life is you've got community, yeah. but you've also got pure and yeah, anonymous sure. and anonymity. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What about you, Emma, like yeah. going in reverse, like coming from, coming from the UK and then, and then coming to a place like Australia, especially in Melbourne, like did you sort of see the opposite where yeah. it was sort of smaller?
1: For sure. I absolutely loved it. Um, I loved living in Liverpool. I grew up the later part of my teens there. And when I moved to London, I was exactly the same. I was like, whoa, this is huge. I have to catch two buses to get home to be able to afford rent. <laughs> um, and I was in London for about five, six years. Um, and that's enough, I think. When I moved to Melbourne, I was like, trams? Strangers are talking to me and they don't want to kill me. <laughs> this is a great... Everyone's so friendly. There's Mm. sunshine and rain. Makes me feel like home. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I found that the industry here, I think, Daz is absolutely right. Not only London or Melbourne, but the world. It's so small. Like, Daz and I, we keep talking about people and like, oh, you know, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, of course I do. So, yeah, and that's 12,000 miles away. I was once working a shift at the Everly, and this guy walked in and... I had served him in Liverpool, like, bearing in mind, I'm pretty old, so this was 20 years ago, um, back in the early 2000s, and he remembered me, and I'm like, mm. that is wild. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wild. So, yeah, but I, I loved it. It's it's much more of a sense of community, um, I think, in this smaller town, mm. Um in London, you're just so busy. You work from you work till five in the morning, um, and then yeah, you go to work. Especially in the winter, you go to work when it's dark. You leave work when it's dark, or, or vice versa, and you, you, you kind of work to live.
0: Mm. Um,
1: whereas in Melbourne, I can afford to do things, go to Hillsville at the weekend, and have a really jolly good time. Um, so yeah. Absolutely loved it. Mm. Never going back. Sorry, London. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're well, happy to have you, for sure. <laughs> um, did either of you ever think about going to another part of the industry? Like I've had Jets, Langlands on before recently. We talked about her starting out at the bar scene but then going to the coffee scene because she felt that was more a safer place for her and a place that she wanted to work and a part of the industry she felt more comfortable in. Mm. But was it was it always going to be bars for both of you? Maybe Emma, if i start with you?
1: Yeah. For sure, it's always going to be bars. Um, I, I have flitted between drinks and food. Um, I've managed restaurants, and as, as much as and as fun as it is to run a restaurant, there's something about w- working within the bar scene that is just. It's Darren and I always say this: instant gratification. <laughs> um, it's just everything there now. You, if you put all of these puzzle parts in place things run smoothly and you get a huge sense of achievement Mm. Um, I have been in many other parts of the industry like I've done spirit sales marketing gosh a bit of copywriting but I think it always comes back to cocktails spirits and booze Mm. that's that's my love that's my passion and there's so much more to learn about it I think it would just take me so long to read all the books I would that I'd love to
0: mm. what about you Des
2: yeah I think it was I guess it was like it was an accident that I got involved in bars to begin with and so I just sort of you know all the edu- all the learning that I did all the, all the learning that happened happened on the job and so I always thought I'd be a terrible waiter I actually always thought I'd be terrible at working in a bar because I wouldn't be able to have the personality or keep up with the pace. Like I was working in a factory doing an apprenticeship before I got into bars. And so the lifestyle seemed like it's extremely foreign to what I was doing. And like, and to this point, I proved that I was a terrible waiter when I became a waiter later <laughs> in my career. Um, but yeah, I think it was just... I guess it's like fear of the unknown. So, like, once you're behind a bar, you're comfortable. You've yeah. got that, like, you've got that barrier, yeah. like a literal barrier between For you sure. and the patron. And I guess you are also there. You're you're the person who takes the order, makes the order, mm-hmm. delivers the order of if you're doing bar service. And that kind of, I think that's, like, a very rewarding and also very powerful position to be in because you can, you have dialogue, you... You know guide the guest choice like if a guest just says i want an old-fashioned you can dictate whether or you can inquire whether they want like you know rye scotch bourbon you can recommend your favorites you can ask their preferences you can just go on such a journey over like one little drink and the thing is like to actually do that so many people don't have that experience when they come to a bar it's like oh i just want my, i just want to old-fashioned and they get a house pour bourbon, old fashioned, and there's no dialogue. And I always thought that to actually go that little bit extra didn't cost me anything. It's not that hard to Mm. ask someone how their day is going, ask them about spirit preference, ask them about a favorite. And then you just watch people sort of like unfold and engage. And, you know, you do get that instant gratification. You might get a tip out of it. You, or what's even more rewarding is when they come back and they order from you. Or, and then you've you've got that dialogue, you know, and it's not about taking work away from your, like, buddy working the Mm -hmm. station next to you. It's about you build that relationship and that rapport with someone and then that creates regulars and regulars keep venues going. But it also makes your night more interesting because you're not having to go through that dialogue every single time. Um, And so, yeah, I think it was, that was what really i guess kept me in the in the bar side of the industry and also just like the sheer amount of knowledge that you can absorb and becoming technically proficient at bartending is you know is rewarding to just be able to switch off and churn out drinks on a friday night and think about nothing else but looking after people and you're just all hands and to everyone else at looks like magic and to you you're completely in the weeds Mm -hmm. but you're having a good time doing
1: it you're a magician it's like an unformalized degree in Mm -hmm. bar work you know if it was recognized then people like Darren would be a doctorate Dr Darren doubtful
0: (laughs) 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 it's quite interesting right I want to go a bit deeper into that I want answers for both of you if I can but like in what you've just uh, said Darren in in taking someone along a journey Mm. of beverage, right? Especially with the... How do you do that with a person who will come in and always get an old-fashioned or will come in and always get a dry martini or a certain type of wine because they're routinely thinking that is the only thing they want to particularly drink? Like, can you only do that in a small bar setting where you may have a slightly more time? Like, how do you actually break that ice and get that person to go on a different journey of bit?
2: I guess... It's certainly very doable in a small bar setting because you're kind of banking on the fact that someone's going to have more than one drink. So, mm. from there, there's a couple of ways that I'd look at it. Like, if you are in a big, bustling environment, you kind of have to let your personality shine with your body language more so than your actual, like, verbal interactions because you probably don't have time to stand and, like, talk for two minutes about the nuances of something. But if someone can sort of see that you're, absolutely in it and you're absolutely loving it they're probably going to be a a lot more trusting of what you suggest something I always thought was like when I came back from London I worked in Adelaide for a bit before I moved here and I found the biggest challenge but the most rewarding thing about working in the bar I was in was someone come in they want a beer We didn't have Cooper's pale ale, which is what everyone wants. And so they'd have to drink a different pale ale. You'd kind of have to tell them about that. Mm. And then they might want a glass of wine or a gin and tonic. And we probably wouldn't have the wine that they wanted because we had all that natural wine. It was a young Mm. person's bar. So you kind of guide them again. And then by that point, if you've had that dialogue, you've sort of got their trust, then they might sort of have that trust in you to order a cocktail that they may not normally order. Or if you were to suggest a drink to them, that'd be like, well, you've haven't led me wrong over the last two. And it's like, it takes time. It's taxing. It's, you know, if you're having a bad day and you can't be bothered, it's a lot easier to just let those conversations go and like not worry about it. But it's also like, you know, there's zero reward in not helping someone when they, know what they want but they can't get it Mm -hmm. and you know that's sort of what the whole job was about for me was you know selling things that I wanted to sell but also having the knowledge that I wouldn't steer someone wrong by selling them that particular product Mm. um yeah
1: yeah I agree um I've always been in the thought ever since I've worked in really great cocktail bars that it's all about the experience so from the moment that person walks in through that door as soon as they're greeted, as soon as they can see how, I guess when you're working really fast and you see really good bartenders, it's like they're doing a dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance, <laughs> but more like a ballet and you're like one touch, two, and they, before you know it, you've got a drink. And so if they see that from the moment they come in, then they will be a lot more trusting um, But then I've worked in, well, both Darren and I have worked in places where um, it was our job to recommend, you know, bartender's choice. The Everly in Melbourne specifically is very well known from that. Mm. Like, no matter how busy you are, you always go around the table and you try and pick something, a drink based on people's likes, dislikes, what they feel like for the night, where they're going, what time of day it is, what season it is. It's, it's a lot of variables, but it's kind of like muscle memory for your brain. Once you get in the flow of it, you can look at a person and be like, you want a frozen strawberry daiquiri? Oh yeah, and you're going to have a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is, it, is it hard to keep that consistent? bar experience because like you're talking about that instant gratification right and I'm thinking about because I've never worked behind a bar for a long period of time I've done it once for a trial shift that I was a back bar for five hours on a Saturday night and it was mind-blowing both in a really hard way and a really good way <laughs> but when you're two deep three deep five deep ten deep and you're having to deliver this kind of experience consistently for hours on end yeah. like how, how yeah. do you do that yeah. Because you don't have a lull, right? Yeah. It's very different yeah. than a chef, for yeah. example. no, you
2: don't. Yeah. Um I,
1: go I on. guess I guess for me it's different because for anyone who knows me, I'm quite high energy. <laughs> 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 you know. So <laughs> What? <laughs> um who said that. So yeah, uh, working a 10-12 hour shift when it's super busy, mm. my mind goes a 1000 miles a minute anyway, so I find it invigorating. It's that adrenaline. And then on the flip side, sometimes you do have off days. And you know what? This is what leads people to drink shots on shift. Sorry, but it does. Mm, mm. (laughs) You know, that little boost that coffee can give you where you don't have access to a coffee machine. What do you have access to? Oh, look, a whole back bar of goodies. Mm. Um, It just gives you that extra hit of, right, I can keep going. Let's go and gives you the energy not to get pissed, you know, but you know, just to just to open up. Mm. Open up the gates to fun. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I guess for me it's about that like economy of movement and that ballet that yeah. Emma was talking about and it's like, you know, trying to serve multiple people at once, put rounds up at the same time. Mm. Like if you can clear 3 people in one hit, you stay out of the weeds for yeah. longer. Mm. Um But yeah and i guess that sort of is the power of it is you know when you're that busy it is quite hard to talk to people but it is very easy to clear round after round after round of drink and sort of my my way of looking at it when i was a younger bartender and i smoked was like i'm not going to get a cigarette break until every single person is served and that was like what my first bar manager said to me when I was like, can I have a cigarette? <laughs> He's like, when you finish serving everyone and there's no one left, you can go for a cigarette. And I didn't have a cigarette that whole night because it's like, I was <laughs> like, all right, well, I got to get faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of, that was it. It was like driven by a reward to like make sure that everyone got served to be as fast as possible. And, you know, it's like we're saying on these it off is. nights, it's like if you're technically proficient, you can just do your job and you can do it to like a base, what yeah. you consider to be a base level. Mm. And you'll still blow people away because yeah. you're making drinks fast, For you're sure. serving multiple people. Back in the day when there was cash, you'd ring up orders in your head. You'd mm. already, you know, you'd see the $20 note or £20 note. You'd do the maths. Before you even at the till, you've got the change out and mm. you're back. It's yeah, like, that know, was my so, favourite. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, that's it. Like our job, I, well, I always saw that my job is to make things look easy but actually work really hard at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So people do think you're like a magician. They're like, how did you make that look so easy? And you're like, lots of training.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you find that you were getting more tips when you started to make it look more easy? Absolutely. Yeah, right. For sure. (laughs) Because like this magic thing that's happening behind a bar, right?
1: For sure. Yeah, Yeah. Um, UK is a bit different because we tip more than you Aussies. <laughs> <Toss>. uh, <laughs> um, especially in oh man in Liverpool, this is probably why I stayed in the bar industry and and fell into it and got promoted and all that. Mm. Honestly, because of tips. Every every other person I served would be like keep fifty p, keep a quid, keep the change, love. <laughs> My best guess, <laughs> honest. And yeah, it was wild. This is why I was like, I can do my studies or I can get paid quite a lot of money just for serving rounds of drinks.
0: Now, obviously, we're here at Worksmith in Collingwood, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the home of Homegrown Drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you're both obviously working for the brand. Let's explain what you're currently doing for the brand and how it came to be that you came here.
2: I am the head of product. So I take care of R&D, uh, troubleshooting why things go wrong when they do go wrong, trying to avoid those things going wrong, leading, I guess, like, relationships between the flavour house that we work with, the co-packers who pack our products, liaising with, like, the production and procurement teams, um, and just, yeah, generally just playing with flavours and making a mess. So it's (laughs) it's a pretty fun way to, I don't know, to... To make a living but also to just it's a constant learning environment as that's i think like the most rewarding thing is it's like mentally exhausting because there's just so much information to learn and absorb and i don't know such a high quality of product that already exists so it's nice to have a benchmark to work towards with you know
0: those products how do you come up with ideas for flavors of the range
2: uh well If it's going to be, I guess there's like two ways that that happens where either the idea is already there, such as like we need a cosmopolitan or we need a margarita or we need a fruit tingle or something like that. Whereas to come up with a drink from scratch, generally I think everything is sort of somewhat in some way linkable back to a classic or an existing Mm -hmm. drink. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you need to make a spritz, there's – any number of flavours that can work in a spritz, but generally you want something like sparkling winey with a bit of bitterness and maybe a touch of Italian flavours or flair to it. And so that would be my guiding principle is like maybe not to make Aperol spritz, but to look at what flavours are present in Aperol or a different type of bitter and then build that out with wine flavours or sparkling wine and build the drink around a flavour that I... Wish to like isolate and explore and exploit, I guess. Mm.
0: Yeah. How many rounds of tasting do you usually go through in the testing stage? A so lot. Many. <laughs> a lot. Uh,
2: honestly, sometimes when I was first doing these drinks, there was upwards of twenty trials, yeah. twenty batches, which is a lot. Yeah. And then, but then once things get comfortable, it can be only up to five. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it just sort of depends yeah. on I guess how much prior knowledge exists in what that drink should look like at the end, yeah. um or as a finished product because realistically, when is something ever finished? Like there's yeah. almost it's, you know, yeah. like it is an endless piece of rope and it's just you choose where you want to stop at when you think it's in a place that's going to be pleasing to the most number of people or to its target audience. If you're making a sweeter drink or you're making a drier drink, you're making a bitter drink. But,
0: yeah, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We love
1: having Darren here. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's just I've told you before, like, I'm in awe of watching you do Mm. what you do. Like, I could never do it because I get confused as all hell. And especially when I imagine, and I want to go this uh, uh, later in the podcast, it must be challenging to have so many different people's opinions on what they're tasting, right? And then thinking how you revert that back into actually feedback that you can use to develop the product more, I would imagine. Like it must be important to have consistent, the consistent same tasters on board all the time in order to realise what their palate is is tasting every time in order to develop the product.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay.
1: I think from my point of view as being one of those... Lucky, lucky taste testers. <laughs> um, I always try to be to step back from it. Um, say, if we are making a drink that I don't normally drink, then I would try and obviously step into the shoes of the consumer who do like drinking these drinks. Like, well, what would so-and-so like about it? Um, and then that, that way it makes it I think easier for Darren because you have to remember some of the drinks aren't always going to be to your taste but you know what he's trying to create and hopefully we'll help him get there by stepping into the shoes who we're catering for
0: And What about yourself Emma, what are you doing currently with Homegrown?
1: Um, so I'm the brand manager I basically um, I collaborate with Pretty much all of the team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just to make sure that we're singing from the same song sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of the support between production and sales. So Daz gets the amazing flavours out. I translate what's in it into marketing English. <laughs> um, ready for the sales team to sell to the um, trade. Um, yeah, really fun, really exciting. I also um, kind of manage any activations that we do, which I love. As we say, every, every time we do an activation, for instance, we um, were in Holy Water Festival. Mm-hmm. It's like stepping back behind the bar and just being a magician behind the bar to the general public again. And yeah, it's really fun.
0: Mm. Is it is it hard to um I'm going to use the word distill, not because I'm talking to two bartenders, but is it hard to distill wording and information about what a drink um, tastes like and smells like from uh, someone who's highly skilled as Darren and the rest of the team and then actually bring that through to be a marketing component that an average punter will actually understand what that Um, smells and tastes like?
1: I suppose it's not hard. I I guess it's years of working in a cocktail bar um, that you kind of know that if there's salt or saline or, you know, some kind of malic acid component, as great as that is, there's no need for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I always try and keep the language as, as simple and unromanticized as possible mm. um, just so it can cater to a broad range of um, viewers. So we're basically, especially with the homegrown products, Try and put what's in the drink, but the main components. Any any flavours that kind of enhance the palate or the mouthfeel, they're probably not needed because that, that'll just confuse um, consumers. So, mm. yeah.
0: so try and use words like sweet and sour and dry and those uh, kind of things, or you don't well, go to that I level? Don't,
1: no, not even that level. Try and stick to just the main flavour components with the odd, say, Tropical fruit, if it's needed. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would never, I'd always steer clear of words like sour or um, sugar as a component. Right. Because they always bring connotations in your head that, oh God, I don't like sour things or, oh, sugar. Why would I drink sugar? <laughs> um, you know, you're not there to remind them that it's like nine tablespoons of sugar in a can of Coke. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Try and keep it as unromanticised as possible, but straight to the point, but still have a, a little bit of flair of um, marketing speak.
0: Mm. Okay, let's talk about automation in the bar industry. Um, I think, from looking from an outsider's perspective, um, the bar industry has probably been one of the l- like the latest parts of the industry to sort of come to automation. Obviously, we're talking about homegrown here with with batched cocktails. Um, Why do you think that is? Because you think, you know, um, front of house has definitely been um, automated a lot more with order at table and things like that and booking systems. Um, Why do you think the bar industry has been sort of late to take on batch cocktails?
2: I'm Honestly, I think I'm not really sure. I think it's a great question. I think it's one of those things that you sort of need someone to push you off the cliff. And once you do it, like, you'll never go back. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember the first time i used batch cocktails which was in the uk back in 2015 it was just after working at milk where we Mm -hmm. never batched anything Mm -hmm. and the bar we went into working with uh ryan chetty and ian griffiths at dandelion sort of everything was batched and so like at that time it was like (laughs) this is a joke like we don't (laughs) even we buy our sugar syrup in we batch Mm -hmm. our cocktails like this is this isn't bartending. Yeah. And then it's like all it takes is you to run out of a batch on a busy Saturday night and you have to make a drink that you were put, touching two bottles for. You have to touch that bottle, touch six bottles. And it's like this isn't dumb. This is like, you That's know, smart. everything I've done before is dumb. Mm. Right? <laughs> 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 it's like I'm an idiot. Yeah, um, right. And so I think you kind of need that like yep. that realisation of, you know, it just makes your life easier it makes the guest experience better. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're not talking about they don't – they're not missing out on the theatre of you mixing a drink. Yeah. It actually just gives you time to engage with them more. It gets drinks in hands quicker. Because, like, I mean, also, like, there's only a small number of people who sit at the bar in most cocktail bars. Everyone else is sitting at a table. Mm. And so they're just – they're talking with their friends, yeah. like, not seeing the action. So, like, if I'm not – like, even if I'm sitting at a bar, like – Drink's quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like I'd rather, a drink in my hand faster yeah. than seeing the f- full theatre of someone yeah. touching eight um, bottles. Yeah, you know. I agree. Mm.
1: I think it's also, um, tri- I guess when people think of batch cocktails or, or the people, the wider, wider audience of the bar industry, um, the people in the top of the game know that it's amazing, right? Um, and it's like with any trend it'll take a while like I was saying earlier look at clear ice blocks who would have ever thought that every bar <laughs> in melbourne would have a clear ice block and care about it we won't get into the ice debate yet not right? yet, <laughs> <Not> yet. <laughs> when we going to have that discussion right. in the whoa, podcast whoa, whoa. okay um <laughs> but yeah it's like any any trend it'll take a while and also we're tr- you still got to uncouple people's thoughts of when you think of batch cocktails, you think of TGI Fridays, sour mix, like pre-mixed, not always top quality cocktails that say you would get in a supermarket of the times of what we call the dark ages of the cocktails around the 60s and 70s when everyone was, everything was um, super processed. Um, so yeah, it'll just take a while, but I think, honestly, I think that COVID's helped. Like every every bar had to out of necessity and it's getting there and you can see a lot of drinks brands moving that way, but they don't always have the expertise of someone like Darren. That's why I think um, with Homegrown, sorry for the plug, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why... I think we're kind of market leaders in that way. You know, it's like a drinks brand trying to create a craft drink, but without the craft credentials. Mm. We are trying to, we are creating um, pre-batched cocktails, not RTDs, not a vodka cruiser, nothing wrong with a vodka cruiser, guava, (laughs) delicious. Um, But we are making bar standard, top end bar standard Pre- batch cocktails, and as Daz was saying earlier, we've tested and tested and tested, and he's tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until they're all I think they're all pretty perfect.
0: Mm, I totally agree I kind of think okay. the cof- I kind of think the cafe industry and the barista industry is going through the same yeah. challenges the bar industry is going through with batch cocktail with bars and then automation in regards to um, automatic uh, milk froffers and automatic tampers and stuff like that with, with coffee, right? It's a lack of bartenders and baristas and this thinking that we need to make sure the the quality is still super high yeah. in both those areas, which obviously Homegrown is doing and, and uh, other brands as well. Like, that's an exciting thing moving forward. We're going to get to higher quality product yeah. and then higher quality service because people, baristas and bartenders, are going to have more time to actually talk to a customer. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about why someone would want to join the industry right now. Like, Emma, you said, you know, five o'clock, you know, finishing times. Um, Challenging, loud venues. Like, I haven't been behind the bar very much, but I've definitely been on the other side of the bar getting a drink. Um, I don't envy what you guys have done. Um, Like, it it must be extremely challenging. Coming to an environment now, why would someone want to join the bar industry?
1: As I was saying earlier... The general public only see one side of it, right, which is the service side. They don't see the pre service or the post service or all the chats we have in our group chats and all the time that we spend as a team. And I can't emphasize this enough being in the bar industry, uh, that is the most, uh, that is the best kind of teamwork you could ever have. It's like being in the army, but not so regimented, you know. Mm. You, you never, you never <laughs> leave a man behind. <laughs> you go into battle every night, but it's so rewarding at the end of the night and you've been five deep and that you've had the busiest night of the year and you crack open that end-of-shift beer and you're like, guys, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well done, everyone. It's mm. like... Being in a sports team, that's that's how I see it anyway. Um, and you, for, not me, but for someone who is quite shy, <laughs> um, it really p- helps bring you out of your shell. You know, that bar is like a barrier that when you're a young 18-year-old, don't really talk much, it kind of gives you that skill to be more confident. Um, Having the right mentors as well, Mm. having the right management definitely helps. I don't know of any other industry that can do that. Mm. It's those life skills. It teaches you empathy, teaches you teamwork. You get a cracking beer at the end of the day.
0: (laughs) What about you, Darren?
2: I, I mean, I agree with everything there. I think, you know, the sport analogy is so true and it's like, you know, bars, restaurants, hospitality—they're like a wheat league sport. So they're kind of like soccer, right? It's like you're only as good as the worst person on that pitch mm. or on your team, mm. because everyone's always helping each other out. Like you know, your mates have got your back. So if you are not quite up to speed, your buddies or teammates mm. are going to bring you up to speed because it's going to make their lives easier, yeah. and it's going to make you you better almost yeah. immediately. And so you've kind of got that like this incredible camaraderie. Um, but it's just like, and then at the same time, it's like, it's fun. Like, yeah. you know, as a, as yeah. like an 18 year old, like working in a factory, I like, you don't really understand how to speak to people cause you don't speak to people when you're at work. And then all of a sudden you kind of like step behind this bar and it's like, you've got superpowers because like everyone wants to talk to you and you get to do, you get to serve them. Yeah. It teaches you those soft skills of like someone comes in they're having a terrible day, like if someone's just having a bad day but they're not gonna show it, you can kind of you can kind of get that information out of them yeah. and you can talk that talk through it with them. Yeah. Someone comes in they're just celebrating another day on the planet. You can be part of that celebration. And it's yeah. like, you know, you just get to you just learn how to engage yeah. and be a part of humanity. Yeah. Um which I think you don't really learn in a lot of other industries. It's like, you know, you see you see, truly the wor- the best and the worst yeah. of like of everyone, but just like the lessons that it teaches you, is mm-hmm. are just like second to none. But yeah, it's just yeah. it's fun. It's teamwork. Mm-hmm. It's rewarding. There is you know like that drink at the end of the shift. You'll never drink a better beer <laughs> than the first beer after a busy Friday yeah. night, and you get to do that fifty two times a year. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know <laughs> and.
1: I think Michael, um, our founder, uh, uh, worksmith, said it best once um, in one of our trainings um, that we've held. He, There's noth- no better feeling than when you get a group of people in and there's that one person who doesn't want to be there. And then by mm-hmm. the end of the, their time with you, they're laughing, they're joking, they're tipping. It's just such a sense of achievement that not only for yourself, but you're like, oh, they've gone away happy. I'm, I'm glad I've made them happy, basically. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's a pseudo-psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What ails you? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, very much so.
0: Safety is really important in the industry, but especially in something like the bar industry where we're dealing with a lot of alcohol, obviously on a regular basis. As a bartender coming into a new venue, how do you make sure that you are going into a safe work environment and not only from employees and, and staff that work there but also patrons that are there, right? Like how do you make sure you're actually picking the right place that you're going to feel comfortable in?
2: I think you develop that this sixth sense about mm, people, about sure. places. You really learn to trust your gut yeah. because you can see when someone's gone from being drinking to drunk to – unless you're completely green like you can you kind of see people going from just having a good time into being drunk a lot of the time and you can kind of tell and like you see people turn from being like just drunk to like violent or dark um and so you very quickly learn to trust your gut and trust your instincts about what vibes people are giving off what kind of vibe a place is giving off Mm. and you know, that will not only serve you excellently later on in life, like walking into a yeah. restaurant that you don't like the feel of. If you eat there, almost guaranteed you're going to have a bad meal. But <laughs> I think True. I think it's like, you know, and it's just about like trusting, trusting your gut on that. And okay. I, I actually remember when I was like, when I was younger, I have like bailed on a couple of jobs after a couple of shifts just because I just didn't, like the Bad the juju. feeling of it yeah. yeah yeah exactly and you know i think it's like it's it's quite common for bartenders to like flitter around between jobs or like even yeah. restaurant workers to just like you know it's like six months i've learned everything i'm done but it's not very rewarding mm. and so for me it was always like if i'm going to work somewhere i want to work somewhere for over a year yeah. so but then at the same time it's like it's very important to know know when to walk away mm. because you know, staying in an environment that isn't good for you, like mentally or physically, Absolutely. is, you know, going to be far worse than the awkward conversation of just saying like, I don't want to work here anymore. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's about it's about judgment and trusting your gut because yeah. you know, we all have that feeling. Yeah, um, I think.
1: Mm. Yeah, I feel since the pandemic that you know there's especially in Australia a lot of. Um, people in the industry have gone back to Europe or gone back to the UK and there are a lot of younger bartenders and managers out now. I think that is, there's RSA training, there's cocktail training. I think that's one part of the training that's lacking nowadays. We've been rolling around the country um, carrying out cocktail program training with our training manager Ella Nielsen um, and this is a section that she focuses on because if you're an 18-year-old shy bartender, like, you don't know that that's not your job. Mm. You kind of, as, as Dad says, it's like teamwork. So you instinctly want to try and help. But sometimes you have to remember it's not your job. Your manager is there. They're, they're your manager for a reason. They mm. have more experience. And, yeah, just learn when it's time to walk away and get some help. Um, and I find in the industry, it's really hard for people to ask for help. So I think that's another thing It's just like, remember, it, it, you're not alone <laughs> in, in any of these situations. Mm. And yeah, just try and cut it off before anything worse or bad happens.
0: What do, you, what do you think it is hard for people, especially in the bar industry to ask for help?
1: oh i think honestly it's that sense of narcissism right i'm not saying that everyone who works in a bar is narcissistic but when you are making cocktails and the your customers are like oh my god how'd you do that you're so amazing and you're always getting all these people you're getting tips you're like you can't help but get a sense of i'm untouchable Mm. um I mean, I definitely... Wh- why do you think I'm still here 21 years <laughs> later? You know what I mean? It does strike your ego a bit. Mm. So, you know, with that bravado, I think people find it... They have to put on a front all the time. Especially with new bartenders now, I would say, know that you don't have to do that. You really don't. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, there's support everywhere.
0: Is it hard to know when to stop drinking? Oh. When you've when you've got a bar that you're working in and you're allowed to have free shots or free booze yep. or whatever happens, yep. is it is it hard to know when to stop?
1: Yes, yes, for sure, special for sure. Oh, especially
0: it, as a young, young bartender, I'd absolutely. imagine, right? Absolutely,
1: or a thirty-one year old. I'm thirty-six now. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say it it took me a good. Fourteen years to know when to stop drinking of my twenty-one year career. Yeah, Yeah. right. Definitely, it's it's hard because you're in that environment. You're like you're in everyone's Ging you up, and I blame the Beaufort mostly. (laughs) 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 You know, when when you're having a good time and you're partying and you're always being offered things again, it's like asking for help it's it's hard to be the party pooper but i think again because of the pandemic and you know what's whatever's happened in the world um, it's a lot easier now in my opinion anyway but i am i'm out of the mm. inner circle Day-to-day. of the scene mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah mm. yeah i think people are a lot more um, conscious of looking after themselves. It's like the drinks trends at the minute. You know, people are drinking less but better. I think in the bar trend, it, they've swapped out going out and getting fucked for, oh, I've got Pilates or mm. let's do a team sport together or, yeah, a side hustle. Like the pandemic afforded everyone who worked in a bar to find their hobby whether it's, you know what I mean? It's mm. Whether it's reading, painting, crocheting, thank you, knitting, <laughs> sewing. they not just list all your hobbies. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, let me not... Narcissism. <laughs> Narcissism. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, being away from the bar scene, it afforded the bartenders time to realise, oh, there are other things aside from going out and getting fucked and getting mm. hammered and being really hungover. I can go for a run. I've seen so many people get into running who are bartenders or, or personal trainers or, you know, getting buff. Mm. Daz, stop listing your hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I see it's a great movement. Well, there's awesome. like bartender boxing, there's baseball, there's all sorts.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. So we talked about just then cutting yourself off, but how hard is it to cut a customer off? I would imagine that must be the hardest part of being a bartender and telling a customer, no, like you've had too much, like you're not going to have any more. Like how do you deal in that in a real setting? I mean,
2: like it's hard because mm. like, it's like it's kind of easy if you yeah. don't know the person, but if yeah. it's a regular, like to <sighs> treat that person with respect mm. while at the same time sort of saying like, you know, I'm gonna have to use my judgment yeah. for your judgment for mm. your impaired judgment. It's like, mm. yeah, I still I'm still not good at doing it mm. after 15 plus years in the industry, and I'm still uncomfortable doing it, even though I know that it's just part of the job. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like for me, it's always been the hard one of the hardest things to do yeah. because it's kind of like you're you've gone from being like this enabler <laughs> but you're literally yeah. like yeah drink more you know mm. have a good yeah. time and then all of a sudden it's like actually you can't drink anymore anymore yeah so yeah sorry here's your bill and a glass of water
0: mm. um mm. so yeah, mm. yeah. yeah difficult what about you Emma
1: yeah I think it varies person to person personally I prefer it if I know the person <laughs> I find it easier interesting um I don't know, I seem to have an act of talking to people as in I just talk at people <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> they listen. So I uh, call it, maybe put it down to my personality. Um, um, I don't mind it. I think um, throughout the night if I've been serving them I gain some kind of trust with them. Um, and they know I'm quite empathetic to them. So, yeah, uh, sometimes I'll just be like, nope, no more. (laughs) And they laugh and go, okay, I'll go home. See you later. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think knowing them, knowing that I'm doing it because I care about them is an easy way to, um, work around it.
0: Mm. So I was going to ask if there's a, like a script that you follow, but I think based on the answers that you both gave, it's probably just really, it changes with every single yeah, person that you're talking to, right? For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if it's someone that I really don't do know how to handle, then, you know, I'll find someone else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, my final question to you both, like obviously what's come through on the podcast today is I know people listening to it will know your deep affection for the bar industry and the hospitality industry greater. What legacy do you want to both leave the hospitality industry, but especially the bar industry, as, you, as you're as you in the sort of early stages still of your career?
1: I want to go first because Daz's answer is really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whereas mine's a bit very, very. Yeah. Um, I've thought so much about this. I'm not a Darren. I don't have a legacy in that way. I don't have an amazing. Drink that is worldwide known. But I, I, w- I would want to say that, you know, hospitality is in my blood, running through and through. Um, and if... I'd like to think that everyone I've met, if not a large majority of people, when they hear my name, they will say, ah, oh, she wants to help me. Um, whether that's through... Advice, whether it's through comforting them, whether it's through helping them get a job or, you know, in some way or, you know, even if it's just serving them a bloody good drink or having a good time, um, that would be my legacy.
0: Mm. Love it. Darren?
2: I guess, like, the things that I hope I've left behind in a wake of, you know, until fairly recently, alcohol-fueled destruction um, <laughs> would be the underneath all of that. Like to care for and understand people, be it your customers, your guests, yeah. or your teammates. Okay. Like to and to like carry empathy with you. Um, it's incredibly hard. It's to do sometimes. It's incredibly taxing, but it's you know it's humanity distilled. Mm -hmm. and that's I think hospitality is you know hospitality is humanity and then I guess to also like through that to not stop learning about anything like there's always something to learn about your colleague your guest your chef uh, to understand flavor um, and balance of drinks Um, yeah that's that's kind of it is to you know I just hope that yeah, there's this understanding of flavour and people and how those two things go together really well. And, you know, you have the power to change people's lives and, or to change people's nights, which then changes people's lives yeah. and that changes the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a, you know, it's yeah. a powerful job you yeah. have that it often doesn't seem like it. Yeah, mm.
1: Yeah, I feel like everyone should spend some time working in the industry Because, yeah, as Daz said, those soft skills, those personality traits, oh, you can't. That's like years of therapy right there. 100%. Yeah.
2: And then you get to go to therapy and talk about
0: it. Wait, is that not what we're doing? (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you both for the memories that you have created to so many patrons over the years. uh, And I really look forward to seeing what you're both going to do in the hospitality industry and obviously the beverage industry moving forward so thank you both for being on the podcast today if you want to find out more about homegrown drinks as well it's linked up in the show notes of this podcast so you can reach out to the team and get a sample and see what you think for your venue in australia emma darren thanks so much for your time thanks sean
1: thanks sean thanks emma thanks daz
0: Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. Please comment, like and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind. So we'd really appreciate you sharing it along your reviews, giving it a five-star. We would really, really appreciate it. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash My Co-Founder has a design business called Principle Design and it's one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principledesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. We also have a new onboarding and training brand called 42 Days. You can check them out at 42days.co. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well thought out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why principal design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realise that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased full traffic, higher engagement and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the PO community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot.